Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie, and today the team is reunited. Rahul, Alex, welcome back. We've had a fun preseason tour, although not the results we wanted, but good to have both of you guys back. How's it been, guys? Um, it's been very good. It's it's been a bit of a hiatus at this point, but it's nice to nice to be back talking to you guys and dissecting uh, a very interesting uh, Blues preseason tour. So uh, good good to be back, and we've got plenty of content to talk about for sure. Interesting is a very very kind word indeed, but I like it, Rahul. We got to do the last episode together, so we at least spent some time in Charlotte. But looking forward to talking about preseason today. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to preseason, looking forward to talking about new signings since there have been a few uh, and just having the both of you back together and, and all three of us doing this episode, I think, uh, should be fun. But let's just dive right into it. Yeah, let's definitely do that. Let's get started with, you know, I think the team landed in Los Angeles, which is one big thing we need to start talking about for preseason. We didn't play any games in Los Angeles, but we did go to get warmed up, feel a little bit of the weather, meet some of the fans out there, which was exciting. If you look through Instagram, social media, and things like that, there were so many fans that got to meet Chelsea players in LA. And I think for us three gentlemen, being in the US, having that opportunity alone is incredible. So I thank Chelsea for doing that. But then we jump into the heat of Vegas and we play Club America. Rahul, I'll pass it over to you first. Uh, Good result, but why don't you take us through a few things there? Yeah, I think it was a good result. A decent team to be playing, I believe, there in their season so it was almost um, an opportunity for them to kind of break away and and play Chelsea but for Chelsea first game since the end of May uh, all the boys coming back and uh, everyone got a run out I I was happy to see Timo Werner get under the score sheet Uh, Michi Batshuayi tried his best to prevent that uh, but he made it Mason Mann scores a brilliant goal and and there was in between those two there was a Reese James Reese James own goal Um, But all in all, at that point, a good start to the preseason and looking forward to the two East Coast games, which were coming up. Uh, I think everyone was feeling positive because even though we say preseason isn't about results, it's always nice to win and get uh, a win under your belt as you kick off a week in the U.S. Yeah, and you want to look sharp. I think not only is it not about results, but it's about performances. And I think that will be the theme of today but you these guys are playing some of the younger ones especially for staying at the club maybe playing for a loan signing somewhere else maybe trying to get into Tuchel's first team 11 but Alex I'll come to you on Club America uh, Pulisic was playing against Ochoa I think there's I don't want to say bad blood there but there is a little bit of history there with the man in the mirror post I know that they've squashed that beef but good to see the two of them coming against each other and Pulisic looked sharp yeah, no, it's it's always good to see, uh, take a little bit of that heat of the rivalry, the Mexico-USA rivalry, though I believe I uh, one of the networks pointed out that they they shared a moment and embrace either before or after the game, I forget which, but that, I mean, that seems to, that seems to indicate that there's no bad blood, despite obviously Ochoa making some inflammatory remarks before about the USA uh, and then Polisic replying with a goal and that iconic uh, man in the mirror shirt celebration. Um, but I was very happy to see that because I think Ochoa knows, I mean, he's a veteran of the game. He's been at a high level for a long time. He's well aware of, of how competitive things get. And I think it's, it's a great sign that both players have a kind of fiery competitive edge, but also share uh, respect for each other at the end of it. So 
that was nice to see. And he, I, I thought Polisic's little uh, cameo in that first game was sharp and definitely promising from what I saw. Yeah, and that's, like I said, we're looking for performances, and he definitely stepped up for that one. Those two, that's the USA and Mexico, along with Canada, will be hosting the 2026 World Cup, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So good to see them laying the foundation there. Rahul, I'll come back to you because our first major signing was announced while we were in Las Vegas. So we welcome Raheem Sterling to Chelsea. Not a name, I must admit, that I thought would be seeing in a Chelsea shirt. But what are your thoughts on Mr. Sterling coming to Chelsea? At that point, I was just happy we we made a signing because <laughs> we were linked to everyone and, and their mothers. And finally, Sterling comes in. Look, it's a good signing. He's proven himself in the league. He is a Premier League player. Um, Liverpool, he did well. Man City, he's done well. He's won a lot there. Um, I'm slightly surprised that City decided to let him go, but that's that's a take on their squad and where they sit. Uh, but for Sterling to come to Chelsea, I think overall it's a decent signing. We do create a lot. I think that's never been an issue. I think finishing has been an issue. Uh, and from Sterling's time in the Premier League, we've seen that he does get in, in and around the goals and gets involved in the goals. So I think that adds a little bit to the attacking. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he's used. Is it on the left? Is it as a false nine? Uh, because right now we don't really have a striker. And if uh, Armando Borja leaves, then really that opens up a, a spot for, I think, Sterling, Pulisic, Kai Havertz uh, to fill in. And, and that would be a little bit concerning because... I think Sterling is um, more influential from the left mm-hmm. than than being in, in a false nine. But we'll see what happens. We we ended up seeing him play a few minutes in in Charlotte, uh, and I know we'll come to that. But as a f- first signing in the Bowley era and for the men's team, I definitely was was excited. Yeah, and we got him for a in this day and market a decent price. Yeah. I think for for that player of that quality. Alex, he plays on the left. We know Christian Pulisic loves the left wing, or at least in our experience, that seems to be where we get the most out of him. What do you make of this? Is this a positive signing? Is this just more competition for Christian Pulisic? Can they play together? What are your views on this? Yeah, I mean, I, so obviously Sterling is comfortable on the left. I think he has been pretty flexible, though. And as we've seen with Pep, as we know, Pep t- does tend to tinker with his squads and lineups a bit. And we've seen Sterling come from the right plenty of times for Man City as well. Um, and I mean, as Rahul was mentioning, a, potentially he, he can be a sort of fluid false nine of sorts. I'm not too concerned. I think objectively it's an improvement on our squad. I mean, you ask, is Sterling better than hudson Adoy? Yes. Is he better than Timo Werner? Yes. Is he better than Hakim Ziyech? I'd say yes. Is he better than Polisic? Probably. I'd give it maybe not a massive margin. Maybe I'm biased. Um, but I think he's 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 Premier League proven. He's hit numbers that Polisic has just not been able to hit in the league, um, and not all for his own fault. Sometimes that's that's selection things, and it will be interesting to see how the selection and rotation of these attackers works out. Because unfortunately, we've got some talent, but it seems like we've had a lot of very average attackers rotating and unable to sort of claim a spot for themselves. Um, sometimes down to their own issues sometimes down to interviews, uh, a lot of factors going on. But I, I'm excited because objectively, he improves our attack. He improves our squad. He brings title-winning experience. He brings proven Premier League experience. Um, and I do want to see how it would look to have both him and Polisic on the pitch at the same time. 
Um, I don't know what you do about the, the sort of striker role, but I think both him and Polisic are talented enough that they could play left or right. Um, and I'd love to see how that interplay could look, especially if you had, say, a Mason Mount type behind them acting as a bit of a creator, sending balls up front. So I'm excited by that signing. I think, uh, you know, as, as we've mentioned, it's not what I expected going in, but I'm not going to complain about a high profile player from a team that has consistently won the league in the past few seasons um, and someone who knows how to get on the score sheet. So I like that move. Yeah. And what you guys have both said is probably the most accurate to describe it. Premier League proven, He's an upgrade on some of the wingers or attacking players that we have. And Rahul, to your point, if we do not sign a striker, he's one that has played the false nine along with Christian Pulisic, along with Kai Havertz. And so it gives us another option there. But guys, before we move on to Charlotte, when we sign, it doesn't come in ones, it comes in twos. So very quickly after Sterling, we announced the signing of Khalidu Koulibaly. I hope I'm saying that right. Rahul, usually you ask me for pronunciations. I'll ask you to jump in on this one. I think that's right, and it's it's rare to say or 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 not something that I thought we could have said that we've kind of upgraded on Rudiger, uh, but Kulibali comes with that reputation and and that characteristic and attribute of of kind of being aggressive and and being that Rudiger type of defender. Where uh, when Rudiger decided he was leaving, we were all looking around and saying, "Well, who's going to replace him?" Uh, again, I think for the price, it's a pretty good deal because yes, he's thirty, but We've seen seen with Thiago Silva, who he's going to be playing next to. Uh, age doesn't really matter if you're able to read the game and 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 understand what's going on ahead of you. Uh, so I'm I'm excited again by Kulabali. Uh, he's a name that I think a few seasons ago could have gone for 60, 70, 80 million close to the Van Dyke number. So uh, good, decent business from Boli again. What's going to be interesting to see is where does he play? Is it on the left? Is it on the right? Uh, I think he's naturally geared more towards the right so that opens up the left spot which is where Rudiger used to play so we still have that spot open and I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on uh, another player that we almost had signed and, and <laughs> doesn't look like he'll be coming but again from leadership Kulabali you'll you'll get a season a seasoned and experienced player uh, a guy who knows Jorginho another player in our squad so they'll get along and he'll hopefully fit in right away we got to see him a little bit behind the scenes in Charlotte. And uh, you could see that he was still getting his fitness up. He didn't really train or go out with the squad uh, for the game, but behind the scenes, he was kind of mingling and, and hanging around with them. So I'm excited. Sterling and Koulibaly, good first two signings, but I think there's a lot more needed. There's a lot more needed from our perspective, and there's a little bit of time left to do it. But Alex, he also knows Mendy, so there's a relationship there with our goalkeeper, He's another one that, according to Rahul's points there, even though he's over 30, I think he brings in a lot of experience, which after watching some of the errors that we saw in preseason, I don't want to call out Chaloba, but he was the one that we saw the error coming from. Uh, it looks like these younger guys who we know have a future at Chelsea, we hope have a future at Chelsea, can learn from now not only Thiago Silva, but somebody like Koulibaly. What, what's your making of this signing? Yeah, I think I totally agree with Rahul that you wouldn't have expected us to be able to easily replace Rudiger and maybe it's not an exact like for like replacement but I think he's the only player on the market um, the only player who was being linked with transfers who you could say you know what that's actually maybe not even a downgrade and I would say the most similar and the closest we can come to replacing Rudiger's skill set mentality experience um, and not not altogether too far off from his age I mean 
age, as we know, tends to be a little less of a factor for defenders. So I think ultimately that's a very good signing. Obviously he alone is not going to necessarily be enough to magically uh, seal the gaps left behind by the likes of Rudiger and Christensen leaving and whatnot. Um, But I think as he adjusts, he will develop and gel with the squad and start showing his class. So I'm very happy with that one because, uh, you know, as, as I said, losing Rudiger felt like a serious blow just because he was making a case for being one of the best center backs in the premier league. Um, absolutely world-class. I mean, that was clearly acknowledged by Real Madrid coming out and wanting him. So this is a very, very much needed swap, but, as you guys have mentioned, we we definitely need a little bit more because all this has done is plug uh, quite well, but plug a hole that was left by a departing player. Yeah, we've not added necessarily to increase anywhere else. So we'll see how the rest of the transfer window goes. We'll talk about maybe one more transfer person later towards the end of the segment here. But let's move on to the second preseason game, and that's Charlotte Rahul. I see you've already put your background as Charlotte. We've heard online that you had the best day of your life. I'm just giving the intro this way, but I was standing right next to you, so I know exactly how it felt. What can you share with us? What, how can you capture the moments that happened and how you felt? Look, this was – I've been to a few Chelsea games, and I've been, I've been lucky to meet a few players uh, in the past. But this was, for me, like you said, the best day ever, at least from a sporting Chelsea perspective, because uh, we were fortunate enough, thanks to this podcast and thanks to you guys for, for you know helping and, and putting in the work that got us to – being to able to get the media passes and get behind the scenes and stand a couple of yards away from Tupel and, and Mason Mount and those guys. Um, it was for me the best day. But apart from that, I think the people that we met, we were talking before we started recording, uh, Ryan from the Bayern Munich channel or, or Jorge from the Top Bin 90 channel, uh, just very nice people. And, and even though we were a little bit new to what was going on and you and I were like, where do we go here? What do we do? Can we go on the field? Can we not go on the field? They were there guiding us and helping us out. And uh, I think that added to the day and, and those relationships we will keep for the rest of um, our life and, and connect with them. I'm sure we'll bring them on again as, as guests. But uh, coming back to the game, I think uh, it was exciting. I think wanted to see them see the boys in person. We got to do that. Didn't really play the best game. And of course, my opinion is a little bit skewed because I didn't have the best view. So Alex watching from home uh, can add to that. But um, I think Charlotte were the better team. You have to give them that. They, again, are in their in in their season. They're all halfway through it. So uh, you would expect fitness to be better. You'd expect performances to be better. Uh, for Chelsea, making changes at halftime, that did improve it. But again, one thing that comes to my mind is I see Sterling running on to goal. I expect him to finish, and he doesn't. And that brings me back to the issues we've had in the past, and I think Tuchel touched on it too, is we do well up until the 80-meter mark, and then in the final 20, we we can't finish. And that's something that needs to be addressed very soon because the season starts in less than two weeks, and we're still talking about issues we had not just last season, but the season before and the season before and the season before. So um, overall, a brilliant day, not a good result, but one man had a much better day than both of us and a lot of Chelsea fans, uh, which is Brian Romero, the 16-year-old, making his debut. Jackie, well, I was standing next to you when they brought him on. I think you and I were a little bit tired. We were leaning over on, on the wall. And the energy that came into the crowd from seeing this guy come on got us 
energized as well. And then he does what he does by winning the penalty. They score the equalizer. They go on and win the game. Uh, he had a brilliant day and, and hopefully he'll respond to my message and we'll be able to talk <laughs> to him in person. No, look, I think you always want a wonder story. And, and while this was quote unquote a friendly, I don't think there's a better way for him to remember a debut of this magnitude against Chelsea where they end up winning because he ends up getting a penalty at the age of 16 years old. The entire stadium went dim when they scored that goal. Fireworks got, and I think that's something beautiful the MLS does is they put on a show of things which makes you even more excited. You can feel the atmosphere. But before I go too far down this, I want to say one more thing. I I thought that for my experience in the first time behind the scenes with media passes, a, a big, big thank you to Charlotte FC. I think it was so well organized, especially for us media folks in the back. Security was on point. They were keeping us at bay, but at the same time, giving us enough leeway to get the content, get the pictures, just like you have behind you right now. And during the game as well, everybody was pretty respectful. We were able to go up there and mingle with other press in the press box, which is beautiful views of the stadium. And if you haven't checked it out, it's all on our Instagram as well. But what an incredible experience. So thank you to Charlotte FC, but also thank you to FC Series. I think very, very well organized and one thing I want to share outside of what we saw with Brian Romero spending a little time with Thomas Tuchel in the back. He has an interesting character, I'll say that much. And we've known he has a, a funny side to him, but he was making little jokes with his staff about potentially getting a lightning strike just so the game can move on. He was making little dad jokes. We heard a couple of snippets here and there. We got a chance to talk to Marcus Alonso and Cesar Aspilicueta, who are both very humble, very down-to-earth guys. And so it was a fun, fun experience overall. And Alex, we wish you were there, but what were your thoughts on the game watching from home? Because, I mean, you may have had a little more tactical analysis in there. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. You definitely got the feel of it, and it was, from what I saw, definitely a case of maybe even more so than against uh, Club America The in the first match. It was a case of a team in the swing of their season um, putting on a really good show for some impressively passionate uh, Charlotte fans. Uh, who really held it down and were making their voices heard. So I wasn't overall too concerned. And obviously um, with Pulisic grabbing a goal, I thought he played quite well overall. Again, those those finishing issues we had, I mean, Batshuayi again um, just was was not able to convert a really good chance that he had. And ultimately ultimately it did come down to i think just a bit of a rusty rotated still finding their feet chelsea squad against a, a team that stepped up to the plate and and treated this game like the big occasion it was um so you got to give full credit to charlotte there and i i wasn't too bothered i mean yeah you can say oh we lost on pens but even going into it the players clearly didn't even realize we were going to penalties they'd all started walking away and the ref said no let's let's do let's do penalties um, so that I didn't take that loss. If you, if you call it a loss, I didn't take that too harshly. Um, because ultimately that game, I didn't feel like, um, yeah, I didn't feel too hard done by. I was, I was impressed with Charlotte and I thought they performed admirably, put on a good effort. The Chelsea boys got fitness. Um, I felt better about that game than the next one. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Pulisic. I know you have a bias towards him, but he did look very sharp and very determined maybe in that first half is the right word to use. But I want to talk about another guy that we got to see really up close and personal. There's been a lot of talk about him and what he's going to do and how he's going to fit into the system. But Conor Gallagher, 
Rahul, we got to see him. He was sweating like no other because he was running his socks off. He's very, very physical. He got into a little bit of hot water because he does some aggressive tackles throughout the game, but maybe something we need in the middle of the park. I don't know what your thoughts were on Conor Gallagher. I, I, I was impressed too. And I think that started actually in the first game against Club America where he played, he kind of continued that over into the Charlotte game when he came on and you can see what he brings. He brings the energy. He's, I can't even imagine the energy him and Conte would bring to the midfield when they play together. So, uh, and that's a compliment for, for Gallagher because yeah. Conte is, is pretty much the standard for uh, driving and running back and forth. So uh, for Gallagher to do that, it's a great weapon for uh, Tuchel to have in his arsenal. I'm a little bit concerned because now that Conte and Loftus-Cheek are back into the fold since the, the squad is back in London, that's just more competition for those spots. And, and, with the results, the way they went in in the U.S., I don't know what Tuchel's thinking about Gallagher, but it could have raised the question about is he ready? Uh, we certainly think he is, and and maybe the penalty missed didn't help either. But uh, from what he does on the pitch, he's certainly ready, and I think it would be a great tool to have during the season to throw him on or or start him in games where we need numbers in midfield and we don't have them because we go with the two. Uh, and a Jorginho, we know doesn't have that kind of energy. So having, if Conte is out, having Gallagher next to him just adds to that. Um, I think one more person I'd like to talk about, and, and Lee Parker mentioned him too in the event that we went to the night before, was Hakim Ziyech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was hitting some beautiful free kicks when they were warming up. I think he started off pretty well this season, uh, in preseason. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with him because I know he's linked to a move away to Milan. If he ends up going... Are we letting a player that is a little bit hungry and determined to make something happen go? Or Alex may change my mind because I didn't watch the Orlando game and we lost 4-0 and everyone probably did not play well. Um, so that's a question in my mind about Ziek. But overall, I think coming back to Gallagher, I was very impressed. And I'm, I'm excited to see him. I hope he stays because we could definitely use him. Yeah, I think that's a key thing there, especially in midfield. I know we've talked a lot about Declan Rice and on the social media sphere and all of the things where people are talking about, well, Gallagher needs to play up higher. I saw him play deeper. A lot of people were complaining, but he was able to hold his own in those deeper positions. And I think that's a testament to him, like you said, Rahul, but also maybe Tuchel testing him out there. Because if we don't get that rice type player, if Gallagher can fill the mold in there, Jorginho is getting older. Conte is older with injury issues. We don't have somebody who can fill that mold. Maybe he's the natural guy to slot in there, but Again, we don't come away with the win, but some things we can look for and, and find some positives in. I'm almost hesitant to go towards Orlando now because that was a tough, tough game to watch. Alex, I'll come to you because before we get into the game itself, tell us about your experience. You had a, an amazing time at the training session. What were your thoughts and feelings about your experience there in Orlando? Yeah, it was very fun. I'd, I'd never been able to go to an open training before. I tried once before um, when they were in Boston uh, for a match, but uh, this was the first time I'd been able to actually see Chelsea train live, and it was a very fun experience. There were a ton of cool people who I met and chatted with. The players were great and friendly. Um, everyone was super excited as they were walking out, they were cheering for them and Tuchel was, was giving the, the crowd a thumbs up and smiling at them. It was a very positive experience overall. Everyone was definitely, uh, quite excited to see the boys train. Um, it was very, very hot. I will say, um, really hot, very muggy. 
the humidity was was serious and obviously this was just the evening before uh, the game against Arsenal so they they did come out a little late and finish a little early which I thought was good because three full hours training in that heat where it was feeling like around 100 degrees Fahrenheit would not have been a fun one um, but it was it was a great time seeing their their drills they were looking sharp we got to see uh, Koulibaly and Sterling um, training with the squad and and getting up to speed um, and then ultimately some nice passing finishing drills just the little things that you wouldn't necessarily appreciate uh, if you don't see them in person or you don't see them regularly um, but the players looked good and I've got to say that's for that reason I think training was maybe preferable for me than the actual match the following day um it, it was nice though too and and they all went down the line and were signing shirts and taking photos with fans at the end um so that that i would say was a total positive experience and then obviously uh a bit of a downturn uh when when you talk about the actual match performance the next day that's what makes it tough to swallow because it, it sounds like you had a fun experience and maybe a surreal experience being so close to them and spending time watching them before we break down the game a little bit more, did any player stand out to you in training? Did anybody seem particularly hungry? Were there any specific training methods that caught you off guard saying, Hmm, I didn't know they played like that or, or anything along those lines. I would say, I mean, it was interesting. Tuka was definitely very involved. There mm-hmm. were a few times he, he stopped in the middle of a drill to basically yell at the players and be like, that's <laughs> not how you're supposed to do it. I mean, he was making, very animated gestures the entire time. And, and uh, some of the assistant coaches, as well as him, they were participating at times in the drills and whatnot. Um, so it was good. He was, he was clearly very involved and attentive and you could tell he was using it to assess the players. Um, I thought personally, Sterling looked very sharp and really uh, realistically, maybe it's just because I've always had a soft spot for this type of player, but I would say our, two dribbling wingers in Sterling and Pulisic, if you mm-hmm. would call them that, I thought looked very intense, hungry. They were scoring some nice goals. They were providing some nice interplay. Um, but actually, the player who really impressed me the most was Mateo Kovacic, just in that his control in tight spaces, in in little rondos and the mini games they were playing and whatnot, it was really, really impressive. And I have to say, uh, this this sort of jumps to the game a little bit, but... I saw that reflected the following day as well when we didn't start with him on the pitch and our midfield was just getting carved open and could not possess the ball. We could not keep hold of the ball in the first half. And then as I was showing my friend and and talking to him about in the second half, once we subbed in Kovacic, it was like night and day, the way he was actually able to beat a challenge, possess the ball, dribble out of pressure and just retain possession for a little longer so that we could actually get on the front foot and weren't forced to just hoof it up the field. So he was one player who really impressed me in training. And I think Chelsea fans have noticed over the past few years now, just how impressive Kovacic has become as a player. So I'm excited to see uh, if he can stay healthy, stay hungry. I think he looked really, really good, both in the practice and in the game, which can't be said about a lot of players. Yeah. And these are the insights we love to see, especially with the open training and how they do things. Cause I think, Alex, you've been very vocal about Kovacic and how he's one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. And so to see it up front and just to justify that, not that we needed it, but just to see his attention to detail, his dribbling skills, how he can control the ball, even in little training games, is something that 
I don't think we'd get those opportunities if we didn't have to go to these games. But Rahul, let's break down the game. I know you didn't get to watch it, but obviously everybody knows the result at 4-0. Is it something we need to be worried about? Is it just preseason? Is it just something where we'll say, you know what, we'll go over it? What are your thoughts on the results overall? And then we can maybe break it down a little bit further. I mean, it's a disappointing result, right? You think about um, the fans that went there, not just the fans that were local in Florida, but the people like Alex who flew there, made a weekend out of it uh, with the intention of obviously seeing a, a good game. We know it's preseason, so we're not expecting, uh, and maybe Alex, I'm speaking for you, but we're not expecting uh, Chelsea to come out and win 5-6-0 every game, but at least don't lose by 4-0. Uh, it's a little embarrassed. It's, it yeah, is. it's embarrassing. We, we say we're the only team in London with two <laughs> European trophies, and that's well and good. Uh, and maybe I'm overreacting for a preseason game, but it just sets the tone, right? Uh, you look at Arsenal, they played Everton, they played Orlando City, they played Chelsea. They won all three games, if I'm not wrong. They go into the next preseason game, I believe, in London and at home, full of confidence. Jesus scored, Odegaard scored against us. I don't even know who the other two were, but they have goals in them. They're feeling good. They have more signings lined up. They know what they're doing with Arteta. And then I look at the other side and Yes, Roman's gone and, and Marina and Czech and then some of the old regime is gone, but the chaos still seems to be there in the sense that we can't get signings over the line. We don't know who's next. We're going from, oh, it's not going to be Delit, it's going to be Kunde. It's not going to be Kunde, it's going to be someone else. It's, oh, it's, it's not going to be Aki either. And it just seems like everything's out in the public and, and Barcelona know what we're doing and they just say, okay, Chelsea are going for them. We're going to go for them. Maybe that's not the case, but it just doesn't seem right. And then we're seeing that on the pitch and then Tuchel's making comments and it just feels like something's not right. And we've seen this in the past. The last time they were here in 2015, I believe, we'd won the league. Jose Mourinho brought a squad over. Something wasn't feeling right. We, we lost to the Red Bulls. I was there. I think the next game we didn't play well. We went back and started the season. We lost the first game of the season. Yes, preseason is all about building fitness, but there are telltale signs along the way, and we're seeing them. And again, maybe I'm overreacting, maybe I'm overanalyzing, but something's not right, and it needs to be put to bed. Maybe that's with a big signing or getting a couple of signings in the door over the next 10 days, but something doesn't feel right. Look, I'm going to echo a few things you're saying. I, I'm not necessarily going to panic at this point in time. 4-0 is an embarrassing result, but I, I do keep the preseason aspect in mind and losing it is not necessarily what throws the red flag for me. I think it's the performance that throws the red flag for me. And I think that's the theme I said I would talk about today is regardless of the result, we could have lost that game 1-0, maybe 2-0, and we would have felt a lot better because we put up a fight at some point in the game. And Alex, I would love for you to chime in watching it over there. It felt like we decided the game was over. We felt like we were not motivated. We did not care. The Arsenal team just felt more ready, more motivated, more excited, and they wanted to put a show on for their fans. And so I'd love to get your insights on this, regardless of the result. Do you feel like, because obviously you got to see the training and all that, do you feel like right before the game kicks off or during the game, we just didn't care? Yeah, it's totally a tough one. I think it's, there are a lot of factors at play, obviously, and it's difficult because you do run the risk of overanalyzing one result. But then, yeah, I mean, I see the point. It's preseason. And, and to be fair, 
I won't say whether this was a good or bad decision, but even just the way Tuchel set up the team, when you're looking at a back four, when we're used to a back five, and in that back four, you have Emerson as a left back, who we know is not a prime defensive left back. I mean, I was watching him barely defend Saka the entire time. Um, and then you also had uh, Chalaba as a center back, who I rate highly, I think is good, but he's a little more used to playing in a back three. Mm-hmm. His positioning, obviously, he's just him next to Tiago Silva was just a, a night and day kind of comparison. And it's not in any bad sense. I mean, he's obviously infinitely younger and less experienced and just does not have the same fine seasoning that Tiago Silva at 37 years old does. Um, but you could see Silva sort of calling the shots, being in the right place at the right time. Shalaba looked a little bit, a little bit more lost. I mean, he was still trying to do the right thing. He made a few good clearances. Um, and Ultimately, though, I mean, it was you're looking at a back, from a back five to a back four with two, I would say, second tier players. I mean, not normal starters. If you had to put together Chelsea's strongest back four, obviously, I think everyone would agree Koulibaly would be the strongest or stronger option than Chalaba. Um, so looking at it on paper and then when you put you put Mason Mount and Gallagher in the midfield together, which I was actually interested to see how that would happen. But you have to sort of expect when you change formation, throw backup players into key roles, um, and then you maybe put two pretty attack-minded midfielders next to each other, leaving Jorginho pretty exposed as your sort of lone holding midfielder. It, it might just be hindsight being 2020, but when I see an exposed Jorginho, Shalaba, and Emerson in a back four, I'm saying, my God, any team would look at that and say, we can score a few goals here as they did. Um, but for the, uh, you know, at the same time, Tuchel put out that lineup for a reason. It is preseason. So I'm not going to totally panic. Um, but I do agree. It would have been nice to show a little more desire. It was odd that it seemed like the entire first half. Um, and I know, cause I was seated down at that end, the entire first half Arsenal were attacking towards me. Uh, and I was right behind the goal. And so it was a pretty good vantage point. I was seeing all the action. It was fun. It would have been nice if it weren't red shirts, chipping Mendy and carving up uh, <laughs> helpless Jorginho in midfield and whatnot. But it, it did seem like Chelsea almost just accepted playing Mourinho ball. If I call it that of just sit back and we'll hit them on the counter, except we couldn't counter. We couldn't hold the ball for the life of us. We couldn't string two passes together and it, it looked like a bad version of Mourinho ball for the first half. And then in the second half, as I sort of predicted, when you sub in Pulisic and you, you sub in Koulibaly, you sub in Kovacic to give that midfield some more control, then you saw Chelsea pick it up, get on the front foot. And I will say, as much as the 4-0 result hurts, Mason Mount went off the post at, at 2-0. I mean, if that goes in, you're looking at a 2-1 game, yeah. Chelsea gets some energy, and who knows what can happen there. I mean, that would have blown the game wide open again. So that's why it really sucked that we had to lose in that fashion to a direct rival. But you know what? It's fine margins in this game, and I'm not going to press the panic button quite yet, though we do definitely need some improvements. No, look, and I absolutely uh, you know, appreciate everything you said because it doesn't resonate maybe watching it from our perspective, but you have a very good analysis of switching to a back four, something Tuchel's trying, because maybe we don't get that third 
world-class center back. And he's going to be starting with two center backs in a back four. He's going to have to warm his team up to that. Uh, Rahul, we had a chance to see Emerson playing in center back and he's inclined to getting out of position. Again, not pointing fingers, but these are things that we don't get to see. And Mason Mount and uh, Conor Gallagher, yes, they are going to be running forward. And Georgina, we know, is not the fastest to cover the team. And so really appreciate your your vision there, Alex, because it, it shares a lot of things there. And one more thing that popped into my head, Rahul, is we actually had a chance to interview Marcus Alonso at the end of the Charlotte game. And we asked him how he felt about the game so far. Obviously, we didn't get the win in Charlotte. What was the key takeaway from that interview? What do you remember him saying to us? He, yeah, so we asked him, oh, what do you make of the result? And he goes, eh, training game. <laughs> and, like, we laughed it off, right? Like, oh, that's funny. Like, yeah, it's a training game. It's preseason. But that's another thing weighing on my mind is he's potentially out the door, right? He doesn't really care about what's going to happen next season with Chelsea. He's thinking about where am I going? But is that the thinking internally? Is that eh, it's a training game at Charlotte, the expansion team? And I'm not disrespecting them, right? But like we're Chelsea, we showed up. The Charlotte players are waiting outside our dressing room door to get uh, signatures. Um, is that the thinking? And is that what Tuchel was talking about after the Arsenal game, which is the, com- the commitment, the hunger was lacking in this game. Was it lacking in the Charlotte game? I think it was. Was it lacking in the Club America game? I think it was, but it got covered over by the win. I think that's where we come back to the question we've asked during the season when we're in December and, and struggling. Is there an attitude problem? Is there a problem where when things get tough or things aren't right or someone's itching to get away? I think there was another clip that came up of Tuchel telling Star to, Star to not complain about Timo Werner. We also don't know what's going on inside the locker room, even though we were pretty close to it. That's where I'm, I'm a little panicked and I'm, I'm hitting the panic button where I'm saying, I think something's off. It's the attitude. It's the overall feeling around. We're not getting our targets. Tuchel's not coming into his second full season, but third season with Chelsea. He's made one signing, which has gone back to Inter. He's now made two signings. We don't know how they're going to pan out. He's asking for more. He's gone through a whole transition with ownership and all of that. It just seems like a lot going on behind the scenes. And that just makes me a little concerned about what's to come because we know when things aren't right, that ultimately comes out on the pitch. Look, and we've seen on various media outlets that Thomas Tuchel's talked about questioning his players' commitment. Are they hungry enough? You know, are we going to be ready for the season? And ultimately, gentlemen, and I'll get your your way in here, Alex. Ultimately, I think that's what his job is. And we've had this complaint at least I did, about Maurizio Sarri when he said, you know, the players are not understanding it or the players are not getting it or they're not hungry enough or they're not committed enough. It's, But you are the head coach. You are the manager. You are the one who picks the 11. You are the one that motivates the 11. You are the one that says, which, by the way, before I go too deep down the tangent here, he's the one that came in after Frank Lampard and said, here are the players we have. The formation we have doesn't fit them, so I'm going to tweak it to match who we have. And, oh, by the way, here's how we're going to play. And so... I hear what you're saying, Rahul. We've talked a little bit about commitment, but ultimately, and with Chelsea, we know this, it comes down to the manager will go if things don't go the right way. Now, we are in a new era and things may change, but rather than complaining, I would like to see him figure this out. Find a way to, like Alex has analyzed, maybe play a back four with the right uh, players. Maybe that's Ben Chilwell and Reese James, and that is a little more balanced. Maybe Conte instead of Jorginho, and you figure it out and then... We kind of go from there and you add, but 
clearly we're not having a good time in the transfer window when we try and pick a few key targets. So Alex, I'll come to you. Do you think the players are alone? Do you think Tuchel has some of the, I don't want to say blame because it's again, it's preseason. I want to reiterate that, but maybe he can take a little more onus and keep some of this, something's wrong in the back under wraps and then deal with it in the dressing room. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a difficult one. And it is something we have seen. I mean, I've seen people, Chelsea fans, posting all the identical quotes of all our past five managers saying the mentality is questionable, the squad's difficult to motivate, et cetera. It does seem like maybe we don't have the sort of mentality monster uh, uh, tag that that some of these teams do. And you know what? For all for all that you can make fun of teams saying, oh, okay, whatever, your your mentality monsters, that's cool. We get it. You try really hard. You do need that. You need that at a club. Talent can only get you so far. And even if we have a world-class squad, it doesn't really matter if they don't show up and and put their best into it or if the coach doesn't put them in a position to do their best. So I would say one potential explanation, which is something I'm almost hesitant to bring up because I think it gets thrown around as a buzzword and has for the past several years, would be the so-called deadwood in our squad that I think Chelsea fans for probably four plus years now have been complaining about certain fringe players being kept around maybe a little too long. And maybe that's a situation where you have one bad apple leaking in a little bit with a not quite as committed mentality, or uh, I don't know, a little lazier. The eyes, the eyes are understandably elsewhere. If you know, you're not maybe in the team's first team plans. I think that's maybe something where you need to look and say, who really wants to be here? And if they don't want to be here and they're not critical to our, to our plans, if we can do without them, we have to start moving some of these players on. Um, and that's, that's why ultimately I think as, as you guys were mentioning with Marcus Alonso, I mean, he's a player who I, I think actually has been underrated in his time at Chelsea just because he's had a, a few poor moments, but also a lot of very good moments for us that I think have gone a bit under the radar, but I think it's, it's time for players like that who, have had a good good career in the Chelsea shirt they brought home trophies they've done their job I think it's time for players like that to move on um, because ultimately you can only build an effective squad if there's good cohesion if there's good belief if the players have a positive mindset and I think we really need to be looking at people who want to be here want to play for the badge and aren't just sort of going about their their pattern every day collecting the paycheck uh, thinking about their next transfer move so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm reluctant to use the deadwood buzzword, but I think this is one case where I would say almost with Lukaku as an example, if you're coming in and your mind isn't there and you're looking elsewhere, I think that was a great example of, okay, we sunk a ton of money into this guy, but hey, he is not working. He doesn't seem to have the desire to work to improve this. We can't have that in the squad. And that's where I'd love to see an Armando uh, Broja get brought in and 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 maybe given some faith, but... Yeah, I mean that's that's my two cents. I think it we definitely need to do a little more fringe trimming here just to make sure that everyone in the squad isn't detracting from the mindset. No, and to pile on to that, Alex, some of the fringe players we have, at least from what we understand from the outside, are extremely well paid. And so you know that we brought in players that are on huge contracts, and then you've got to look at the guys that have worked hard and made it through and we know players talk, they may look left, look right, read a news article and say, well, I play week in, week out, and I don't get paid the same as person A or B who's not even made the starting lineup in 
a month or two months, whatever the case may be. So it's a very valid point. And I think in that interest, Rahul, maybe we need to go through some of these players and have a quick discussion and figure out if they're worth to stay with Chelsea. And of course, this is just our opinions. Ultimately, Tuchel and Chelsea will decide where things go. But what do you think about that? Maybe we can go through some of the fringe players Alex is mentioning. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's a good segue. So uh, let's look at the goalkeepers. I think Mendy is, is, is the first choice. So he's pretty much set in stone. Kepa, we did not see Jackie come to Orlando. Uh, I beg your pardon, Charlotte. So that was an interesting one. And there are rumors about him. And then there's Bettinelli, who was there, but I don't think he played a single minute uh, between Charlotte and Orlando. I can't speak to the Club America. So Alex, between Kepa and Bettinelli, do you keep both of them or do you let one of them go in terms of being sold or being loaned out? Yeah, if I'm being totally honest, and maybe I'm a little biased just because I I watched their training session and Bettinelli made some fantastic saves. I mean, he he tipped a great Pulisic shot onto the bar and out. Yeah, I mean, he was making really good stops. And that's where I think you kind of realize these these players are all world-class. Well, okay, I wouldn't say world-class. They're all professionals. They're at right. a certain <laughs> threshold where um, – even a, uh, a second tier backup keeper, I think is pretty good. And that's, that's, that's a situation where I'd say Kepa understandably, I mean, he's improved a lot since, since he was kind of ridiculed for some poor form. He deserves to have a good shot at a starting 11. We're not sure he's going to get that under Mendy. That's one where I'd say, you know, thank him for his time. He's made some great saves. He's made some great penalty shootout moments. Let Kepa go, let him be the starter at a, uh, I don't know, mid-table Premier League club, wherever it is, probably realistically, we'd sell him out of the league, maybe back to Spain. Um, but let him go and be the main man at another club. Um, I'm confident in in Bettinelli, and especially if I haven't heard too much in the rumor mill lately about this, but if um, uh, Slanina, that, right. that young American goalkeeper who is looking really promising, if we manage to land him, I mean, even the third keeper who I saw in training, I his name is completely escaping me, but he was a, a blonde goalkeeper who was really making some nice stops and clearly putting in the work, trying to impress and, and learn from Mendy and Bettinelli and their experience. So that's one where I say, let Kepa go, let him be the main man somewhere and focus on the players who really have their heads set on Chelsea. Yeah, and I, I think I agree with you. And and actually, you're not the first person to tell me about Bettinelli. I was talking to someone that was at the Orlando training, and I go, who impressed you? And they go, Bettinelli. I'm like, can you can we talk about someone that actually plays in the first team squad? No disrespect to him. But that's actually a testament to him because, Jackie, you and I saw him. Uh, he didn't play in that Charlotte game, but he trained, he got ready, he did all the warm-ups, and then um at the end of the night he walked away kind of by himself which was a little a little disappointing to see because uh, you'd want to maybe have someone put his ar- their arm around him and be like uh next game you'll get a run out but are you kind of on the same same thought as uh, alex about Kepa yeah 100 i just have to echo alex's words the only thing i'll add about bentinelli is he looks it's great to see him up close because he looks like a massive tall goalkeeper with a huge wingspan very, very athletic. And so, again, just to echo what Alex is saying, I think you have to reward Kepa for keeping his head down and doing the right things. And so if he's his hardest elsewhere, allow him to leave and, you know, Bettinelli can step up. And if we are going for the 18-year-old, I think you said it correctly, Alex Lonina, then, you know, in a few years, you have somebody else that may come in to help the team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think the, the keeper you're talking about, the blonde, was Lucas Bergstrom. 
I may be wrong, Alex, but I think that was him. Uh, let's move on to the defense. So I think Thiago Silva is is staying, and there's no need for for anything else. Chalaba, I believe, will also stay. We don't really have numbers there. Uh, but let's talk about Alonso and Aspilicueta. Jackie, we saw them. They were kind of interacting with some of the media. They were talking to each other. Both linked with moves to Barcelona, and Ben Jacobs has said multiple times on this podcast that uh, there is interest. Chelsea will let both of them go potentially. At least Alonso is most likely closer to being uh, on the towards the exit door. Um, what do you make of it? And Aspilicueta has been a utility player in the sense that right back, left back, center back, defensive midfielder, whatever you need, he does. Um, for that reason alone, with the lack of numbers in, in the defense, do you, do you say no, you, you stay one more season? Well, I think you stole the word I was going to say, and I think you highlighted accurately. I think Alonso, and Alex touched on this, has been a loyal servant. And so with Emerson coming in, he can also play that left wing back position. And you would assume they would be Phil backing um, Ben Chilwell. And so that makes perfect sense there for Alonso to move. With Aspilicueta, I think it depends what happens over the next two weeks in the transfer market. If we are not able to secure an additional center back, or maybe I've heard we linked with a, a wing back, then you would ask him to stay. It's just coming down to if we can get somebody in to do the covering. Otherwise, I would love for him to stay. Okay, that's fair. Alex, on the Ben Chilwell piece and then more on the Alonso side, Alonso was the, the backup in quotes last season. Chilwell went out. Alonso kind of became first choice. Chilwell is now coming back in. Having personally gone through an ACL tear, it's not an easy injury to come back from. Chilwell might need more than just the preseason or even the back end of last season where he was training do we keep Alonso because we know what he can do Emerson is not as attacking yes he may be able to defend a little bit better but we know what we get from Alonso just for that reason alone between Alonso and Emerson do you say I'm gonna keep Alonso for one more season I mean I don't think so I think the the reward payoff just isn't isn't great at that point I would rather I would rather give it a shot and maybe have to make an emergency signing of some kind than, you know, bank on, on keeping Alonzo who I won't say he's unhappy, but I think his head's definitely on the next, the next move. Um, I think it's just time to time to wrap up that story of him at Chelsea, because I think it would be best for both parties right now. And that's, I mean, obviously Emerson is, is not a, I would say probably not premier league starting quality, but he's definitely an acceptable depth option. Um, and this is where I think you just have to sort of offer up a prayer and hope that luck finally is on Chelsea's side and, and hope that Chilwell does not have some complication. The injury doesn't come back at worse. Uh, there's no other sort of freak accident happening to our wing backs that's one where I'm willing to sort of toss it up to chance and say, you know what, I think we can move ahead with Chilwell and Emerson. Um, and then, you, I mean, assuming he stays, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but you do have Malang Sar, who we know can fill in at left center back and also left back if needed. So Alonzo, for me, it's thank you for your time, but I think it's time for him to move on. Okay, that's fair. I was actually going to bring up Sar and Ampadu, who's come back from loan. Uh, he can play in the in as a center back, but also in midfield. Uh, given that no one else comes in, which we know might not be the case, we at least will make another signing in defense. Do you keep both Ampadu and Sar, or do you say Ampadu you're a little more suited to the the ball playing mid uh, defender midfielder? You stay in Sar, I think. But from what we've seen, at least one season isn't 
where we thought he would be when we signed him, Jackie. Yeah, look, I'll talk about Ampadu first. He impressed me in preseason as well, at least when I was able to see. He's got an eye for a pass. He looks like he's good in training. It really, again, comes down to what we're going to do long-term. Again, I reiterate, Jorginho and Kante, they both had injury problems last season. And so if Ampadu is willing and we do not damage his progression by playing a bit part player or playing in few minutes here, a few minutes there on other games. I think there's value to keeping him. Again, he's one that can play that defensive midfield role. And then we're not putting so much pressure on Conte to be available every single game. Because, guys, we know when he was not there, we were missing men in midfield. Look, we have a lot of midfielders, but there are others that could leave the club and their names that you may bring up later, Rahul. But Ampadu can stay. Sar is the same exact story. I think it comes back to, are we going to sign another center back? Are we going to play with three at the back? Are we going to play four at the back? So it really plays on that. So I can't answer the SAR thing. And to address your statement about he's not necessarily up to the Premier League mark, I don't think he needs to be. I think he's there and he understands that he may be a second choice. The little that we saw of him in preseason and we saw of him last season seems to have a very pleasant demeanor, doesn't seem to rock the boat. And you do need players like that in the squad. I, I agree. I'll, I'll move on to the midfield because I know Alex kind of shared his thoughts on, on SAR. So I'm looking at the list. We have Jorginho and Golo Kante, Kovacic, Loftus-Cheek, Connor Gallagher, who's come back from uh, loan, Billy Gilmore, who was in, in Vegas with the squad but has been sent to the under-23 squad. Uh, but he's an option too, so at least for now. That's five players, six players. Don't forget about Ross Barkley, who's also there. Mason Mount, who can play a little bit deeper. So now we're talking about seven players that could play in the position of two that Tuchel prefers. So amongst those, do you see anyone, maybe a Barkley heading out? And I think that might be the right move, at least for the club and for himself. But the others, I think, should stay and and be given a fair chance in the case of Connor Gallagher. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think Barkley's the most natural exit. And I think that's another perfect example of a player who... I mean, I would hope he's not adding any toxicity to the dressing room or anything. He seems to be a pretty pleasant, just professional guy. He steps up when called upon. He's had a few nice little substitute performances for us when other midfielders weren't available. But that's one where I think you have to then favor the youth who are really putting on a good show, have seriously high potential. Um, and I would, I would, I would say Connor Gallagher, to no disrespect to Barkley. I would say at this point is already better in most aspects than Barkley is. I mean, I'm more confident in his attacking play and I'm more confident in his work rate to help out defensively. Um, so that's kind of a, just a no brainer for me of, of Barkley is just not a plan for the future. He's a temporary stock gap who I think it's time to move on from. Um, and it is going to be interesting for me too. the, the idea with Billy Gilmore. I mean, we've seen him have, really really impressive games with us and yet he doesn't seem to be really favored necessarily as I mean unfortunately you you've got to say he's got some incredible players in in Conte Jorginho ahead of him in the pecking order and we're still looking for another defensive mid to to shore up that position and then you have Ampadu who comes in and impresses it's it's unfortunate and that's where you almost have to I struggle to resign myself to it but you have to realize not every single player and, and I'm not saying it's Gilmore. It could be Ampadu. It could be 
any one of these young players who are who were trying to integrate into the squad, not everyone is is going to make it or have their peak at Chelsea or be able to stay with us long term. And that's just an unfortunate reality of having a top notch academy that pumps out really motivated, exciting young players. Um, so that's when you just have to trust in the coaching staff and say, well, if they if they really don't see Gilmore fitting in with us long term, you know, you've got to hope one of these other young prospects really steps up or maybe hopefully they give him a little run and, and he picks up form. I don't know. That's that's why Tuchel gets paid the big bucks. But it is going to be really interesting to see, because aside from Ross Barkley, you can make an argument, I would say, for every one of the players you've just mentioned, um, having a, a decent role this season, even if it's just a developmental one. Yeah, that, that's fair. Alex, your, I mean, Jackie, your thoughts on on the midfield? Yeah, I think there's the two names Alex singled out are the ones. Ross Barkley has to go, not necessarily just for Chelsea, but for himself. I think he's 28, 29. He did not feature so much with us, and so he needs to go out there and play. He's at the peak of his career. He may have to take a pay cut, but you only get to play football for a few years. So if you truly love this, go out there and find a club and you see what happened to Danny Drinkwater when he left. He was miserable. So don't let that happen to you. And Billy Gilmore, I loved him under Frank Lampard. Uh, he didn't have a good time in Norwich. I think he has to move on, whether it's a loan or sell. It, it really depends on what Chelsea want to do. That will thin us down to, I think, six players for two positions. want to give a big shout out to Loftus-Cheek because even though we didn't see him in preseason, he can play in that deep holding role. He can play center back. He can play in the attacking role. And he can play right wing back. So if we do end up losing... Aspilicueta, that's the man that can fill in there and then slide into that right wing back role, along with others, of course. But I think those two that Alex has said, I, I echo the same. We may, we've heard maybe Jorginho Juventus links, but I think he's pretty well settled. Chelsea's echoed that many times. And so he should stay with us as well. And I tend to agree with both of you. I think if we're not bringing in experienced players, we shouldn't be losing uh, the likes of Jorginho and, and some of the other ones. But the big one for me is Gallagher and what happens with him over the course of the next month, because he may look around and say, well, if I'm not going to get playing time, I'd rather leave. And, and I think that will be another uh, hit to this squad in the sense that he has characteristics that not a lot of the other guys have in terms of just being energy, energetic up and down the pitch. Uh, but let's talk about the attack. So I'm looking here. We have Pulisic, Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech, Kai Havertz. Mason Mount can play an attack. Connor Gallagher can play attack. That's six players. I'm looking at Kennedy, who's another option. And Jackie, you and I saw him playing on that, uh, on the wing in Charlotte. Raheem Sterling's there too. So now we're we're really overstacked in those positions. And we've heard the likes of Timo and Ziek may leave. Do you guys have any concerns about those two leaving? Is there one you'd rather keep over the other? Uh, Jackie, I see you shaking your head. I'll start with you. Yeah, look, I think Timo Werner has given his all and no one can say he hasn't for the last few seasons with Chelsea. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to be working. It just doesn't seem to be fitting. We've heard that he is happy, but he's also looking to go play where he can rediscover his form, maybe rediscover his love of football. And we have to owe it to the player and allow him to go if that's what he wants to do. Ultimately, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Same with Hakim Ziyech. He hasn't looked the same. He's had moments of brilliance here and there. But look, guys, we lost Mohamed Salah. We lost Kevin De Bruyne. And it it happens. You're going to have to lose some players for them to go become world-class elsewhere. And I would throw Kennedy into the mix as well. While he looked extremely, extremely fresh and sharp in preseason, the little that we've seen him season over season over season, I think he's been with Chelsea for a long time. There's always some inconsistency. Ultimately, Tuchel has to make that decision based on what he's seen. But if it's not going to work, 
enough with the loans, sell them on, let them go enjoy their careers and try and do something else with it. Yeah, and, and you have to think if Sterling's come to Chelsea, yeah. leaving Man City, he's been given certain guarantees that he is right. going to be starting. So, um, Alex, your thoughts on that attacking Pulisic? I hear again today someone throwing up that there's an option or opportunity that he may go, but I think he suggested that he wants to stay and fight for his spot. Yeah, I think I personally have never really thought that Pulisic's going to leave. I think for a variety of reasons, I think it's not it's not the worst place for him to be, even if he doesn't start every game going into a World Cup year. I don't think he really necessarily needs a big transition, and I don't think he, he needs to play every single game. I think Chelsea is a great spot for him to find some form, rotate in, play at a very, very high level, and prep for what hopefully is going to be a big tournament for the U S. Um, so I think for him, it makes sense to say, um, plus I don't think Todd Bowley coming in, the American owner is going to want his first move to be to sell the big American, uh, I'd say arguably still the number one American star. Um, so I, I think I've never really been in doubt with him staying, It'll be interesting to see how he kind of fits in this season. I'm optimistic cautiously about that, but Timo is one that I agree with you guys. I think he's, I love him. He's likable. He's fun. He's nice. You can tell he tries hard. He makes good runs. He's had some bad luck sometimes. I mean, just simply the amount of times he's hit the post or been just off sides and whatnot, but it is what it is. Not every player is going to, I mean, we've had plenty of nice talented players come to Chelsea and just not quite hit the mark. And that's, what's going to happen. So that's that's somewhere I totally see Sterling as a direct improvement on Timo Werner, as in still has the pace, but has a little more of a clinical eye in him. He's got more dribbling and finesse on the ball. I will say I love Timo Werner. I think he's great. I respect him a ton. Seems like a lovely guy. But I turned at one point during that Orlando game to my friend next to me, and I said, Timo Werner is not a footballer. <laughs> after he he lost the fifth consecutive pass that had just been put into him and he just could not get it under control and I was like this man does not have an ounce of technical skill in him I love him he is great at what he does but what he is not good at he is very very poor at and I'm gonna be honest that's where I think we need the Sterlings the Polisics, the ZX even if they're not all consistent they've just got that little extra factor in them that I think makes them adaptable to the Premier League and breaking down these blocks when you don't have acres of space to go in behind. So as sad as it is to say, because I love the man, I think it's time to let Timo go shine elsewhere, sort of similarly to Kepa. I think two quality players haven't had the best time, but they've still had some very good moments. It's time to let them go and and let them shine somewhere else. Yeah, I agree with you. And someone said Timo's most, the most Timo did in Orlando was on the right at Universal (laughs) Studios. So uh, but jokes aside, I, I agree with you. And I think between Timo and Ziek, I'd favor Ziek just because of that technical and and the ability to do the unknown and, and surprise us and get us off our off our seat. Uh, Jackie, I'll add two more players to the forward list. Michi Batshuayi, which who's been here since 2016. Uh, and then Armando Borja, who last week when we spoke to Ben Jacobs was in talks with West Ham. It seems like those have gone away. So he may end up staying. Um I think you would prefer one over the other and I can speak to who, but I'll let you, let you tell us. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I'll keep Armando Broja all day over Michi Bashwai. Look, Michi Bashwai is such a fun, happy-go-lucky character. 
even when he came up to us and we talked with him for a quick second, you can just tell, see he's such a positive character. And he, he must be nice to have in the dressing room because he sounds like he's pretty funny. But ultimately, he misses way too many chances. He doesn't control the ball, similar to what Alex is saying about Timo Warner. It's very frustrating to see him there. And while he may chip in with five, six, seven goals here or there, so will Broha. And Broha has done it with West Ham in a struggling team. So give him that opportunity. And if he chips into five, six, seven goals, great. If he does anything better than that, expectations have been you know, surpassed at that point. So I would let Michi go. There are some clubs that may want him. He may be able to play a little more regularly. He may rediscover his form when he was younger in France. It's, it's yet to be seen, but I would allow him to go. I agree with you. And I think with, with Borja, it's almost we've tried the big signing, big forward route. It hasn't worked. Morata, Higuain, Lukaku, Shevchenko. Borja has been at Chelsea. He's come through the academy. Give him a chance. And we've given Michi Batshuayi a season. I think we can give Borja a season and see, see how it goes. Now, again, there's a full month to go, and we don't know what happens in terms of who comes in. But that's our take on, on the current squad and who we think should should stay, should go. Uh, and hopefully we'll hear from you in, in the comments when we put this up and we'll like to know what you think. Uh, but Jackie, I'll pass it back to you. I think we have one little segment left with our favorite defender uh, from Spain, but I'll hand it back to you. Yeah, look, we've been talking about Tuchel wanting another center back. We've alluded to done deals with Jules Conde. We've actually talked to Ben Jacobs at length and... For a while there, it was done and dusted. Alex, we've talked about him for a year now because he's been trying to come for a long time. Apparently, everything was signed, agreed, at least verbally. But Barcelona get into the mix again, have offered a lower amount from what we understand. But for some reason or the other, Jules Koundé or Sevilla or a combination of both are okay with everything that's going on. And it sounds like we are finally at our wits end and don't care anymore and we're going to move on so before we talk about where Barcelona is getting all this money from Alex what are your thoughts on this do we just don't care anymore and let's move on to the next target we can't be sitting around waiting for players to think they like us yeah I I'm fully of that mindset it would be great if he if if he came to Chelsea but that's somewhere I mean I would be completely fine just saying you know what you have a week to decide if you want to come to Chelsea. If you don't make your decision, we are no longer interested. And you know what? I think if he comes to Chelsea, I I think he would work hard. I think he'd enjoy it. I think he'd fit in really well, but you can't force a player to make a decision and whatnot. And at the end of the day, I'm sure he has a lot of people in his camp and at Sevilla whispering in his ear saying, Oh, do you want to do this? How are the wages going to be, you know, just trying to the agents, everyone, I mean, everyone's, there are so many moving pieces at stake in a deal like this, but ultimately you have to come back to the player and say, do you want to play for Chelsea? If you don't, we don't want you either because ultimately you can't have people in the squad who don't want to be here. I mean, we're already struggling to get rid of some people who probably mentally are already in their next club. And we tried bringing someone uh, good old big Rom back uh, from, from another club in a nice little homecoming. And it turned out he still wanted to be where he left from. So I'm kind of just like Chelsea, as you alluded, I am sort of at my wits end there. And if he doesn't want to come off with him, we'll bring in another prospect. And you know what? I I heard also though, because Chelsea has very clearly expressed displeasure with Barcelona now doing a number of things with the sort of Rafinha 
Rafinha deal hijack in a sense, uh, this potential Kunde deal hijack. I've heard that potentially Barcelona are looking to offer Frankie de Jong to Chelsea. I don't know how reliable that report is, but all I'm going to say is if it's a choice between the two at this point, after all this drama, I would take de Jong any day. And I would say, thank you very much, Barcelona. No more business with you for the foreseeable future. I'm glad how you ended that with no more foreseeable future <laughs> business there, because what I want to talk about Rahul is the, the allure of Barcelona seems to have come back. I think, if we look back a decade ago, there were a lot of players that were wanting to come to the Premier League. It was exciting. It was high-paced. It was fast. And now players have seemed to kind of flip-flopped and they're looking to go back to the top two in Spain. We obviously lost Rüdiger. did not want to sign a Chelsea contract. Christensen, I heard, was offered a contract, did not want to sign, went to Barcelona. Now we're looking at Alonso and Aspilicueta looking to go to Spain and Barcelona, although they have ties to, to Spain overall and they want to go there. We lost Rafinha there over the, the whole transfer saga. Now Jules Kunde, and I heard in between, Kudabali was also being courted by Barcelona. So there's a lot of allure of going to Barcelona. Obviously, they're a massive club, no matter what jokes we make and say. And so I understand that. But we're hearing that they've sold 10% of their TV rights for the next 25 years. Now, I don't know how accurate this report is, but surely they're kind of putting their future in a strange or at least you don't know what's going to happen day by day when you do a, a big deal like that or maybe they're super intelligent i don't know what's going on but what's your thoughts on this how do you feel about the whole situation i'm hearing now chelsea will play difficult and not release alonso and aspiliqueta but uh, of course we'll find out more in the next month share your thoughts with me please it's look i usually don't care what barcelona do right they're they're a good club we've played them a number of times in the champions league we have a good rivalry with them it's been a while since we've played them uh, but last season they let arguably the best player on the planet leave because they can't register him they can't pay him he's willing to take a pay cut they still can't afford him and we hear they have about a billion 1.2 maybe I'm, I'm escalating that number but somewhere around there in debt of course driven by by covid and then I look at their squad list, and I'm just going to read out some of their defenders. And I'm not making a case for Kunde to come to Chelsea, because if he doesn't want to come, he doesn't want to come, right? But they've got the Uruguayan Arajo, and I'm maybe pronouncing that right. They have Eric Garcia, who used to play for City. They have Christensen, who left from Chelsea. They have PK. They have Samuel Umtiti. That's five centre-backs right there. They're going to add Kunde, which would be a 6-1. And then Javi is sitting there and saying, well, maybe, maybe Frankie Dion can play centre-back too. And I'm like, that's a whole different issue, but they're adding players just for the sake of adding players, right? Because, oh, we sold our TV rights for the future and we have the money. But you're basically risking your, your present because you want to add all these players. And then I look at Sevilla, and Sevilla have a cash offer from Chelsea. Of course, maybe it's not all cash. Higher than Barcelona, and they're saying, actually, we're going to wait for Barcelona because we, we want to see if they come with, with an offer, which is going to be lower. So, Sevilla, what are you doing? Last season, you wanted 60, 70 million. We're giving you about 50, 55, and you're waiting for 40, 45. And maybe Kunde is like, I want to go there, and that's fine. But I just look at Barcelona's squad, and it doesn't make sense to me that they're adding all these players while being in so much debt that they have to take out loans and, and sell away their future, basically. Yeah, look, it's one that... I'm still scratching my head over. It's one that's very, very difficult to explain. However, I do want to pick the key points from both of you guys here and that if a player does not want to come to Chelsea, 
a player does not want to come to Chelsea. I don't want to be, Chelsea does not want to be the second choice for this particular player. Because from what I understand, gentlemen, we've offered what Sevilla are looking for. We've offered wages because, you know, personal terms have been agreed. So at this point, really, with a month left to go, Tuchel wants new signings. We as fans think we need more players. We need to move on to our next set of targets. So that's really all I can say about the whole transfer saga that's going on there. Obviously, more information comes out day after day after day, and we will cross that bridge as we come there. But Rahul, I'll pass it back over to you to give us some wrapping up thoughts and then maybe take us home. Yeah, look, guys, it's been a fun episode. It's been a while since the three of us jumped on together, so I appreciate you coming on. Uh, and we'll, we will be back with another episode with Ben Jacobs with the latest going on in the Chelsea world and, and who Bowley will be having a meal with next because he seems to be enjoying that. Uh, but we will be back. Uh, but until then, stay safe and up to Chelsea and continue to subscribe, like and follow us. And I've seen a lot of you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts. So if you can, please leave us a review. It will help us uh, connect with other fans and reach out to other fans that may not listen to us. So it's at the Premier Chelsea. Uh, but until The next time, we'll see you. Stay safe and up the chills. Hey, guys. The Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top-quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.